Yo, what's happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Third Intermission Podcast. This is episode three, and I am a running point on this one. I don't know in hockey terms what that would be because I don't think that they have point guards. Maybe I'm a center. Maybe I'm just a wing. I don't know. Whoever brings the puck up, whatever. But this episode is going to be largely concentrated on race and all things black as it pertains to hockey culture because, well, guess what? There's not a lot of black in hockey culture. So the usual suspects are here with me, Dave, Darren, Reese. What are you guys saying? How you guys doing? Splendocious, you know, or everybody's good, man. This guy says splendocious. <laughs> Yo, honestly, I'm just keeping it G right now. <laughs> Keeping, Keeping it, it all G. Cool, like, common, collected. This guy, Dave. <laughs> you know, Jordan, the most zen I get uh, in my day-to-day is uh, doing these uh, shoots with you guys. So I'm with uh, Jordan. <laughs> shout, out, shout out to Twitter introducing uh, fleets to the streets. So obviously, Reese had to give me the moniker of Zen Fleet because I just <laughs> discovered that I got fleets on my recently Twitter <laughs> updated app. So that's great. Um, you can follow all of us, myself, Mr. Underscore Sticks, MR underscore STIXX, Dave, Dave's Barnett, Dave S. Barnett. Um, ah, 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 you already know. Darren, uh, Freetown30, you know, and uh, Reese, uh, I don't know, which suspended account is this one again? Oh. <laughs> all, all, all of Reese's accounts well, have game misconduct and, and, and a 10 game suspension. <laughs> Yo. Yo, I'm surprised he hasn't gotten it. This man hasn't gotten the Shanna Hammer yet, man. Jesus. Shanna, what? Hold on, hold on, hold on. What do you say a while ago? Don't let me off the hook this time because. The Shanna Hammer. <laughs> Yo, we're gonna, we're gonna be the director of player safety. Yeah, we're gonna have to be not? very clear on that one. Oh, well, Yo, I... <laughs> oh yeah, Shannon, man. Well, yeah, you're right. You're well, right. Why? We're oh, gonna have that's to an oldie, that. but that's a goodie. We're okay. gonna have to discuss that. Uh, the Shannon man. <laughs> I don't know about no okay. Shannon Hammer, but yeah, no. Uh, Reese, get get him your your current um your current socials that are not in the penalty box right now. I will say this, Jack and Twitter have been letting me off the hook because my Twitter handle is an ode to Nickelodeon. Uh, Reese Zoe 101, R-E-E-S-E-Y-Z-O-E-Y 101. So shout out Zoe 101. What's wrong with this guy? Definitely, you know, definitely so. a family channel what? classic. A family <laughs> channel classic. Yeah, you know, trust me. Listen, you I'm feel Lizzie, me? listen, I'm Lizzie McGuire High. You already know. So yo, dog, I'm sorry. Like, yo, hey, if you're gonna go with the it, family man. channel flex, like yo, go to RFR, man. Radio Free Reese, right there. Here you go. Radio Free Reese. That's actually a fun, that's a fire <laughs> name. So I think you have to take that on. Yo, you you really do. RFR is my shit, so I understand. But they gave us more variety when I moved to the States uh, with like Cartoon Network and stuff. But Family yeah. Channel is a class. Yeah. I, mi- I miss it, bro. Because it was all, all yeah. Canadian on hits. All the hits. I mean, oh, it, had the, like, it had the American stuff. It had the American, except for like, you know, even Stevens and Kim Possible. Yeah, that's the Raven and all that. I mean. Yo, shout out to Disney Channel when it was in its mm-hmm. prime, man. I mean, I still flex with uh, Girl Meets World. But after really? that, I ain't what? talking about else. Yo, boy meets world, boy meets world, and girl meets world. All right, yo, those are for me. 
Boy Meets listen, World is blessed. Listen, okay? let's, yo, let's Girl get back on the hockey, bro. Because we're gonna, all right, all right, all right. We're going to get off into a whole yeah. different tangent. But Girl Meets World is trash, bro. We'll definitely get into that in an offline conversation if need be. But that was a nice little intro just to get the personality for the people who are listening to us the first time. Or if you're a returning listener, welcome back. So when it comes to the price of hockey itself, that's not something that is just specified to geographical location. Because regardless if you're in Toronto, you're in Chicago, you're anywhere in you know Eastern Canada, you're anywhere in Europe, you're in the Asian part of Russia, it doesn't really matter. To pick up skates, to pick up a stick, to get gear, it's really expensive. It's expensive to get in these leagues. It's expensive to go to professional games. And that is something that has always been a thing, but it hits heavier for those who don't see themselves in this game, you know what I mean? Especially when it comes from the black lens in which we're looking at in this episode. So when you look at the price of hockey equipment and how young that you have to start, especially if like, okay, if the goal is to pursue a professional career in playing hockey, you need to get in from when you're like three or four years old, right? So when you factor in how much money that you need to have just for that pursuit to come in in the first place, and then on top of that, oh, you're black. Oh, you're probably a single parent. Oh, you probably don't have enough household income to sustain this for multiple years. How is that something that hockey culture itself can address in years moving forward with the conversation shifting to how the culture of hockey can be more inclusive and accommodating for diverse people. And I'll bring you guys in. So what do you guys, what are your thoughts on that? Um, from a person, think, go, okay. ahead, go ahead, go ahead, Reese. I just think uh, hockey has an accessibility problem and mm-hmm. it, it almost seems obvious to what demographic this game is accessible to and which demographic it isn't, whether that be on a racial scale, whether that be on a gender scale, it's more prevalent that affluent and class too. And it's a socioeconomic thing too. You are a rich, white, affluent kid. This sport is for you. Mm -hmm. It's, it's accessible to you. Gear is accessible to you. Coaching development. uh, A lot of the things that you need to be successful in the sport rather than, the kids that might love and have a passion for the sport and even scrap up however much change that they need to even get the bare minimum. And they're, they're still going to get chirped. They're still going to get looked down on. They're still going to kind of lack in certain areas where they might need development, where some of these kids have private coaches, private lessons, Mm -hmm. ice available to them, the best teams, the best gears. And that's kind of a problem. And uh, you know, you want to look to some of these leagues that are, multi-million dollar, multi-billion dollar organizations to open up the game a little bit here, and they refuse to. And uh, why? I don't know. And that's something that is, uh, that's always been um, questions, but in the background or in, in, in the, in the underbelly in terms of, you know, how to be more included in uh, hockey in itself. And, even when you look at the price of just going to a Leafs game, if we're going to just keep it to Toronto, 
there are a lot of Leafs fans who admit that, yeah, they have seen the Leafs for the first time or a lot of times outside of Toronto because they can't even afford to get a ticket here. There's a 25-year waiting list just to get on the season tickets list. You know what I mean? Like, people write season tickets into their wills. And I know that, you know, the Raptors, they're going to progress into that happening for them, but that's not for quite some time. But the fact that this has been going on for damn near five, well, not even near, but like for decades, and they haven't won a championship in and five that's a crazy, And that's a crazy thing about that wait list is that the right. Leafs have been more or less terrible for for the last 30 years, but yet the ticket prices haven't gone down or anything. That's nuts to me. Mm-hmm. It really is. And you know what? From from being a fan for practically my entire life, it, it's been absolute insanity just to see something like that. I like I hear I hear horror stories of like fans trying to buy buy like buy tickets from scalpers or resellers and the value is astronomically insane where it's like you're spending upwards of like nearly 400 to 500 bucks for a pair of tickets that's initially like $300 and like when when did it really spike the to the point where almost anybody outside outside of the spectrum of well let's be honest a rich white person when did it when did it become so accessible for them and so un- inaccessible for the rest of us to actually want to see a game especially when hockey is well quote unquote diversifying themselves to be a more international and a more inclusive sport I think that's a really good question because when you look at it, and like I said, I'm an outsider, but like, you know, I observe a lot from a historical standpoint, hockey is a game that is for them. So obviously it was going to be more accessible for them. And because they have the assets, they have the liquidity, they have the, uh, the wealth to invest in going into these games, investing in the team, building relationships uh, with the team, like, whether they're like, you know, direct donors or, you know, or, or, or angel investors, whatever. Um, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a white thing and they just kept it there. And the further they got into solidifying their, you know, uh, their connection to the game and keeping it white and making sure that, you know, it was something that was just for them and not for anybody else. That's why they were able to just stack it up to the point where they're the ones who get, easier access to it. Now that's not to not to say that, you know, there aren't poor white people or whatever, but it's easier for them because they're the ones who can come up with the resources and the assets to even get a chance to even go to these games. You know what I mean? Like yeah, usually, I go- you go see, ahead, go ahead. the only time that you really see like, you know, black kids or anything like that going to games is like, okay, someone white gifted them tickets or an organization decided to bring some kids in for a Leafs game for a special occasion. And that's pretty much it. You know what I mean? Yeah, obviously. And that's, and, well, you know and, why the best seats in, at Scotia, they call it where the, the suits, right? Yeah. The front, the front rows, man, it was all suits. It was all corporate. Do they even care about the game? Like come, uh, they're never there at the start of the game. First period intermissions over started the second period. Thousand seats are missing. 
Yeah, and could allocate those tickets to people that actually care. Exactly, and that's why, and that's why Leaf games, especially during regular season, tend to be like it's it, it's not a good atmosphere. Like I've been, I've been obviously I've been to Leaf games, I've been to Raptors games, I've been to TFC games. I didn't go to my first Leafs game until 2011. You know what I mean? Right. And going back to what Jordan said about like gr- um, growing up, uh, when I was a kid, uh, one of my best friends, uh, we both liked hockey, and he he's black. Like his his parents. One of them's from Guyana, one of them's from Jamaica, and then obviously my parents are from Jamaica. So, like, we both like hockey. We both like ice hockey. I grew up playing uh, – I was a football uh, – soccer player. And I – during the winter, I either played indoor soccer or I did nothing. So, one year I said to my dad, I'm like, Yo, like I want to try ice hockey like, like like my best friend Robert. Shout out to Robert. And – he he was like, okay, I'm gonna look, go look into it. By the time he looked into it, and he's like, nah, it's too expensive. We can't afford it. And you know, I was the youngest of four of four children, and you know, both my parents worked hard, but they just couldn't afford playing a sport. Like when I was playing football, um, I would he, my my father would buy me the cleats, and he would buy me a shin guard, and he would buy me a ball, and the ball would last like four or five years, right? The the cleats would last you know, as, as long as my feet didn't grow too quickly and the shin guards lasted like almost forever. So to your point, yeah, like it's, it was mad expensive. Robert's father, I remember had to work two jobs just for Robert to play, um, to play hockey. And he started out as a defenseman and then he transitioned into goalie, which is even more expensive. And I never forget the Toronto star published like this article back in like, I don't know, late nineties or so. Mm -hmm. And it pointed out like how expensive it was to be a, a, a minor league, like a peewee goalie for like a 12 year old. And it was like 1200 bucks a year, a season just on equipment. And that's not registration. That's not, you know, tournaments and none of that stuff. And not to mention all that time. Cause I remember I used to sleep over at Robert's house sometimes and you have to get up like five in the morning to go to practice. And you know, if you're a, if you're a father and you're working, it's hard to get up five in the morning to go to practice. And then, you know, you got to go back home and then you still got to work for the rest of the week. Like it's a lot of work, man. Yeah. It's not easy. Yeah. And I think that you pivoted to a great uh, point to, to the next subject. It's just like, you know, living where you live, um, a lot of neighborhoods have easier access to hockey than others. So I have been fortunate to live in like, you know, I, I was raised in Scarborough. Uh, shout out to Susan, 3847 year, you know what it is. Uh, and in Scarborough... Always, always got to plug Scarborough. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, big up Scarborough, see it, Big up Scarborough. Don't you know, know the brand is strong. Um, <laughs> so when you look at the uh, the arenas that are in Scarborough, so there is uh, McGregor Park that's on by Kennedy and Lawrence. They had like a hockey rink and whatnot. Um, so that is where you know, a, a lot of people were able to, you know, play, uh, but not necessarily uh, for, you know, us as kids, just because, you know, it, it cuts into the cost. But you look at McGregor Park, you look at uh, Heron Park, um, you look at uh, Birchmount Park, because Birchmount Park was the athletic school in the city, uh, especially in Scarborough, because, you know, they have, you know, the football field, and they have, you know, all the sports that they really readily invested in themselves into. And then where I went to high school, Stephen Leacock Collegiate, they had a whole ass ho- hockey arena next door. They did have a hockey team, but again, they had to disband that because funding 
is really expensive and then you have to gauge interest. You know what I'm saying? So if there's not enough of that, then you're not going to, it's not going to thrive. It's not going to survive. But I also moved to Leaside in 2009. And then I saw that, you know, before the rise of the Raptors, every neighborhood, there's a bunch of houses, million dollar houses. Every neighborhood, there's a hockey, there are hockey nets in the driveways. They Hold on, have, you got you, you to gotta explain for the people who are not from Toronto what Leaside is. Okay, so Leaside is basically a middle class affluent neighborhood. Uh, one East of York? The, yeah, one of the former prime ministers, Stephen Harper, grew up in Leaside, uh, actually not far from where my mom currently lives. Uh, and it's like, it's one of the original neighborhoods in old Toronto. Uh, that was like really planned and established. So there, so you know, there's a lot of row houses, a lot of brick houses that are still standing there. They look really similar, and it's just a very old neighborhood with a lot of like you know middle class white people, a lot of like you know wealthy white people. So hockey, obviously, is just like okay, they have their high schools that were there, the high schools that hockey teams, uniforms, names on the back, everything else. A lot of money is in that neighborhood. And they were able to raise enough money to, like, build a whole-ass new arena that, like, you know, houses, like, three hockey rings. No basketball courts, but they have their hockey rings because they're catering to um, to the demographic that lives in the area, right? So that is just a shining example because next door, just down the street, going east on Eglinton Avenue East, there's Fleming Park. And Fleming Park is more so a hood. There are no hockey rinks at Fleming Park, but there are basketball courts. And who lives at Fleming Park? Black I and used to, actually. I actually used to live in Fleming Park, and I'm going to actually counter your point for a second because I had lived there for practically 20 years. And there was actually a hockey rink right next door to my, um, right next door to my school. Okay. Uh, shout out to John 23rd. I miss y'all. Um, Right next door was that was the hockey rink, and of course the Don Mills Flyers had, had played there. Uh, there was also a hockey rink actually right up the street uh, from Don Mills and Eglinton. It's like Don Mills and it was actually right next to Don Don Mills and Lawrence. It was uh, Don Mills Arena, ironically enough, and there were other hockey teams that were playing out in that area. But going back to Flemington Park Arena. Uh, Obviously, there weren't too too many there weren't too too many games happening in that arena, but everyone was using it for a skating rink and what have you. Of course, the Catholic school that I went to always went skating there every year. Same with Grenoble. Same with Gateway um, Valley Park when they weren't on some bullshit. Um, decided to do a few things there as well, but um, obviously, like hockey wasn't as prevalent in in Flemo, to be honest with you at least not from an ice hockey standpoint i'd say it was more of a street hockey standpoint if anything and sorry yeah and another another thing that gets overlooked too is that a lot of the a lot of the kids that grew up in affluent neighborhoods and they have bigger backyards their fathers like put made little mini rinks in their backyards like i remember when i was living in brampton these kids that lived behind us had like a mini rink in their backyard and it's like it's funny that like maybe their father grew up um, doing those things, but like we're gonna tell a forty year old Jamaican man to be like, "Yo, can you make this rink in my backyard?" He's gonna be like, "What?" He's gonna look at me like I'm crazy, you know what I mean? So it's definitely that that's part of a that's 
a cultural cultural thing too that that might not get younger kids into hockey, younger minority kids into hockey. Yeah, and all the, all those things progress. You know, the talent level and the product on the ice, like the game is faster, oh, and sure. stronger, and so much more skill. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because it's Better. a good way to cultivate like raw talent, right? Like, yeah, even, absolutely. Like learning how to, before you can even play hockey, you have to learning how to skate. So if you can learn how to skate in your backyard for free, I mean, yeah. that alone is an advantage. But and that again goes to the accessibility thing, right? Like. Some of these kids can build their own rink at home. They have their own skill center in their garage. Like I've seen, uh, they'll have the nets where it pops up the light. So they, for target practice, uh, they'll have the synthetic ice where they can really develop some of their uh, inside outside edge skill, not so much a full rink. And then you got the ones that you alluded to where they have a full out uh, standard NHL size rink in their backyard. So then I'd, how do you go to a different demographic, whether that be, um, someone uh that that's black so so from african nations from uh, you know caribbean nations uh, uh, a a spanish individual from south american country how do, how do you ask them and, and some of these sub demographics uh, we we need you to step it up and and put some players um to, together you know when you have just again a small white rich affluent demographic that can take advantage of all of these resources to continue to get better and there's just a gap there because there's just so many more resources to develop uh, that natural raw talent. I was going to say, um, sorry. I was going to say, like, didn't Nigeria just come up with, um, kind of like create a hockey team for themselves not, not too long ago. Like there was some big Tim Hortons campaign where. Um, you sure it was Nigeria? Uh, it might've been Kenya. Oh was yeah. Sorry, I think it was Kenya. My, my mistake, <laughs> my mistake. Um, Geography, man. Geography, bro. Yo, yo. <laughs> Western <laughs> East Africa, fam. Give me a break, okay? Like, yo, I barely remember what happened two two years ago, let alone two months ago, okay? COVID's got me that fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> but I like the fact that, um, you know, you brought up Dave um, or, and uh, Dave and Darian talking about, you know, uh, being restricted to street hockey. And yeah. it's funny because even in Toronto, before 2016, like, you know, Street hockey was banned in Toronto. Which is crazy to me. That was stupid. In a hockey town, street hockey was banned. That's nuts. That is so crazy to me. That's how how I got my introduction into actual hockey outside of video games. Uh Street hockey. And, like, playing street hockey um, when I was younger was, like, it was like United Nations, man, because we had a, <laughs> no, seriously, we had a we had a family from Cyprus that was across the street from us, um, that would play. Obviously, you know, my family's from Jamaica. Then we had an Indian family playing with us, and we had an Asian family. So that shit was dope as hell. It looked like a Muddy Ducks movie, but on the street, right? No, and, I, I know exactly what you mean because, like, yeah, like some, I, of my, some of my greatest some of my greatest memories of of playing sports and playing outside with your friends was playing street hockey with with all those different types of people. For real, like my. I was growing up with the same thing. Like I had, I had like Somali kids I was playing with. I had Asian kids who I was playing with. I also had, I also had like, um, I also had, (laughs) I also had friends from like Lebanon who actually wanted to play street hockey as well. It was like, it was a big thing. Like literally just like literally just taking a hockey stick in your hands, maybe a pair of rollerblades. If you got, if you're a goalie, you have some like street hockey pads. Like uh, and I mean like cheap street hockey pads from Zellers. Yo, I miss mm-hmm. Zellers so goddamn much, man. That breakfast was live. But getting back on topic, uh, um, 
uh, like literally just running up to somebody's door and be like, "Hey, do you want to come play some street? Do you want to come play some street hockey?" And the first thing anybody would do would be like, "Hey, let me grab my jersey. Let me call my boy and see if he's see if he wants to come." And it just turns into a big thing where it's like, "Okay, you got like a whole bunch of kids playing in a random parking lot, and just just going to town, going to town on 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 a on a straight up hockey game. Like you'll play until like the lights come up." And like you're basically, you're basically being cussed at for not not going home after dark. So, I hear that. And bringing it from you know the the Toronto streets or your, your the local streets on concrete to you know the front offices and you know the more refined rinks of these million dollar arenas, uh, there are a lot of inequalities as you can experience from youth, uh, and then as you progress through like you know your. Uh, amateurs and semi-pro leagues and then obviously your pro league um there's a lot of inequalities that we've experienced especially over the past few years with like you know akim alu and like you know he had his old op-ed and then his situation which opened up the doors for there to be like you know um the hockey uh diversity alliance i'm not sure if i got that correct but um the fact that those conversations opened up still does not dismiss the fact that there are inequalities in hockey, as we can see about the uh, Mitchell Miller situation, where this kid who was drafted first round, was he the number one pick? No. No, he, uh, he was a fourth round pick, um, okay. projected okay. even higher, but some of these teams uh, got a hold of the information in his past uh, and just put him on do not draft lists and we would have liked to see that be a more consensus throughout all 30 teams, 31 teams, excuse me. Uh, but clearly that's not the case where talent and potential comes over, you know, just having a moral compass. Mm-hmm. Right. And because what his situation was the fact that um, he was, he's a white kid and as a minor, he bullied a black disabled child and he was convicted of it because it's happened repeatedly. So this is something that is on record. This did happen. It's not something that is false information. It's not something that was like, you know, just fabricated out of thin air. This actually happened. And the fact that an NHL team still said, you know what, we're still going to give you money and invest in your future. Whereas the diverse counterparts, the black counterparts or or other people of color who are players in NHL, they have more scrutiny for doing far less or having like some kind of quote unquote attitude problem. So when you look you the at on the head. Right. when you look at you know how uh, the Arizona Coyotes eventually folded under public pressure, but at the same time that's something that can happen again. What are some things that you know hockey still has to do, or even the NHL has to do in order to be consistent with being? proactive instead of being reactive as it comes to these issues it's a huge yeah it's a huge indictment on 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 uh the nhl and nhl as a whole but uh the arizona coyotes in particular and hockey culture it's like they just they just told us that you know a player can do many many things and and get away with it but racism isn't a deal breaker which is so crazy like in especially in 2020 especially with everything that recently happened like 
it, it just shows you that that their that their mindset. And sorry, Reese, I just cut you off there, but no, 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 you're good. Yeah. You made a great point, and I want to follow up on you and Jordan's point with uh, I have some familiarity with the Toledo area, uh, having formerly been I'm from or used to live in Michigan, uh, but where I worked uh, kind of coincided with. Uh, branches in Ohio. So I'm very familiar with the Toledo area, Sandusky area, some of these uh, affluent suburbs. I find it uh, just very disturbing that with that demographic, which is a historically conservative, heavy white, not a lot of minorities there, when a Toledo judge doesn't even let him off the hook and is like, we don't think you're apologetic. We don't think you understand the magnitude of what you did to a young a uh, black kid that is on the spectrum who is young, uh, you don't understand the abuse that you had on him and his family and then you continue to do it. So we're going to punish you as harshly as you can punish a young rich white kid in a conservative state in a very conservative area. So for the fact that even that type of judge in that type of area could see that this is a problem whether you see some of those anecdotes on Twitter from his family and friends saying he's a great guy. Well, the judge didn't think so and didn't think he was apologetic. So for the NHL, especially the Arizona Coyotes, which promised us this vision of um, being inclusive, adding diversity to the game and having a direct um, impact on the game when it comes to inclusion uh, for them to just even keep them on the draft board, go up to bat for this kid, not saying you can't, come back from it. I think his second chance is the fact that he didn't go to jail. Mm -hmm. He'll be able to get a, a college degree anywhere that he wants to. He'll be able to have a job. He'll be able to pay taxes. No problem. Yeah. But I, from what I'd, I've always known about hockey and sports in general, and any type of hobby that you're passionate about is uh, a lot of it is a privilege and it's not a right. Everything is, you know, earned and not given. So for the fact that he still skated by and was able to do this, and they were saying he was bullying the kid as early as 2018 taunting him, riding past his house intentionally and staring at him and whatnot and taunting a, a kid on the spectrum for that to happen. Um, it's just, well, what does that say about Arizona? It's, it's a very heinous thing for that to even happen. I mean, like the man literally hurled, hurled the N word at him. Like, like it was nobody's business. The man did it so nonchalantly and basically didn't even bat an eye. And like looking at it as a, as well, let's be honest, looking at it as a, as a black man, it's like, what, what gives him the right or even the, even the, the simple minded thought to literally go out of your way and do something. So for lack of a better term, sociopathic, because like, sorry, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to formulate words without, without losing my mind in the situation. But and uh, Kim Al, you made a great point on that. Yeah, he's had his name tarnished. His career uh, just stopped before it even before he could even get to the highest pinnacle of having a sustained NHL career when he had the talent, mm -hmm. based off of murmurs and rumors and him defending himself while taking you know racism at the hands of his own minor league coach Bill Peters, which is an even uh, bigger just disgrace. off of reputation. Yeah, off of reputation, but a kid that mercilessly bullied uh, a, a young black kid for as long as it happened. This isn't an isolated event where I was just shooting the shits with a kid. We saw somebody, we, we, we had a couple laughs and that's it. This was a prolonged period of time 
where one of the few minority kids that go to this school, it, it, it it's damn near assault. Well, we can call what it what it is. He beat it. He's beat his ass too. It's verbal. It's battery. assault. It's verbal battery. It was verbal and physical. Yeah. He beat him up too. Him and another kid. Like so, he didn't even want to handle the business one on one. He brought another kid into it as well, and then the other kid at least was very apologetic. Was crying to the judge. Said, "I'll never do this again." Reached out and made a public apology, and then a personal apology as well. And we don't hear about that kid since. I'm sure he's living on his life. Meanwhile. There's a reason why this is sticking with Malcolm Miller, and it's not because he made the efforts. Uh, I think you mean Mitchell yeah, Miller. Like, yo, Malcolm Miller deserves, deserves – All right, Mitchell all. Miller, excuse me. I was going to say, Malcolm yeah. Miller deserves all the praise in the world because, yeah. like – Yeah, shout out Malcolm Miller. <laughs> yo. Raptor legend. Yes, for real. <laughs> going back to topic, though, um, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Um, Mitchell Miller does not deserve to even have a spot in hockey, let alone a spot in the NHL. Um, in all honesty, I feel like he deserves to he deserves to be rotting in jail. And Man shouldn't even be playing NHL on on PS4. Exactly. Like, and, and one more thing on that. Uh, sorry to cut you guys off, but I think this is an important thing to note. Uh, whenever someone is guilty, uh, and play innocent, as in he went private right away, and then had his his siblings, his family members, and his uh, best friends, former teammates on social media, which we're active in. And y'all know me, I, I I enjoy my Twitter every now and then. Go on uh, just destroying this kid, this young black kid, saying, well, what about this incident? What about this time he stood up for him? Uh, what are we going to call this? And they just went on like a two, three-week rampage where it's like Mitchell Miller can do no wrong. It's actually this young black kid's fault no matter what. And flipping the script, and I'm just like blood boiling. I'm like... You can't be serious right now. The whataboutisms are like really prevalent, especially nope. in today's society, and it's uh, it's it fucking drives me nuts. Yeah, it's a fucking joke. It really is a fucking joke. Um, I mean, on a lighter yet more relevant subject, I mean, look at what happened with the the retro reverse retro jerseys that came out uh, thanks to the NHL earlier this week. Um, I. Kind of had a, I had a, I got into it a little bit with um, someone on Twitter regarding this, but it, he agreed with me, man, or agreed with me when I said this. It kind of felt like a slap in the face, showing people of color, like demonstrating and fashioning the new jerseys that came out, and it's like this, this is your attempt to. Be Grandstanding, more, man, they're full of shit. Exactly. Yeah, they want it's, to your face. It's really. It's really whitewashing and making it look like, oh, hey, oh, we somewhat give a shit about you guys. No, the fuck you don't. Like, don't get me wrong. I love hockey, but, you know, I, I like I'm calling out the leak on this one. And I don't I really don't care if anybody hears this, but like you really need to step your shit up and do better in, in, in situations like that, especially when it comes to things like that. And I will I will flat out say like the NHL really did a really shitty job, not only with the boycotts, but also with the, with the release of the, the, the reverse retro jerseys, because mm -hmm. like, if you're really going to be all in on saying hockey is for everyone and skate against racism and all that other, all that other, I guess, market marketable bullshit that you would call a campaign, like at least, at least stick to it at least commit to it. And right. it's just, 
as a black man, it just tells me like, oh, okay, like, oh, we're only doing this so we can literally have black people come watch our games. Like, what the what in the legitimate yeah, fuck just, is that? It's like it's a it's like giving a baby a pacifier, right? So it's like, you know, it's like, oh, here, 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 you little blackies, here, right? here's something for you, cool. for you cool. coloreds, right? Like, <laughs> um, yo, yeah, put it, put it. Putting me in a throwback jersey is not is not telling me that you uh, that you value me and you know hockey's for everybody and all those things. Like you want to see people that I, I personally I would like to see people that look like me in positions of power and positions of decision making right. and and you know anything other than than something to entertain or to simply you know promote the game that doesn't love me back. Like yo, this isn't some Lauren Laura Ingram bullshit where you can just tell us to shut up and dribble. Cause like yo, we're 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 beyond that at that point. Like we're not dancing monkeys. We're not fucking. We're not fucking. Um, we're not fucking like basically tools for your entertainment. We're human beings, and you know what? Like we, like we want to enjoy the sport as much as possible. We want to be able to feel like we can just enjoy things without being without being stereotyped or typecasted into nothing more than just angry ignorant uh simple-minded simple-minded motherfuckers like no like we're human beings with diverse i guess diverse and very complex complex ways of living and obviously hockey is one of those things that we should be able to enjoy without feeling like we have to be whitewashed or fucking oreos regarding that shit i mean oreos are delicious but like yo you shouldn't have to call me that just because i like hockey i mean it's fucked up i mean that that term in itself is in a larger conversation, but I do understand that um, I, having been called an Oreo more than, you know, a couple of times in my life, I was just like, you know what? That had nothing to do with, like, you know, me liking hockey. It's like when you like things that are not necessarily in black culture, and then that's why they call you that shit. But that's stupid. Again, that, that's a conversation. It's like, yeah, man, can't like Seinfeld, bro. That shit is hilarious. Yeah, I like, yo, Happy festivals. <laughs> <laughs> so, um and, and to contrast, like you know, the Mitchell Miller situation, I'm glad that you guys brought up um, you know, everything that um the NHL did with uh, their lack of, you know, really addressing and really standing for, you know, Black Lives Matter and uh of being uh in solidarity for not only the black players or just like, you know, the black hockey community um when you look at how they treat black players and yes the nhl itself is a league in itself that is run by white people and then the people who are actually doing these uh these antagonizing things to black players are usually other players usually management coaches front office whatnot you see the difference for you know lesser instances or lesser uh incidents that happen where you see that just because of their presence you know they got a lack of support you know um historically until you know the recent boycott they do get heavier heavier penalties by coaches and leagues for smaller things um in, in comparison to their white counterparts they don't get a lot of sponsorships and also they don't really push black players to the forefront because you know that there is actually a whole lot of black players, regardless if they're full black, mixed, whatever, they're not usually at the forefront. Everyone knows PK Subban. Everyone knows that he has a brother. But do you know any other 
black players aside from like you know Evander Kane, but Evander Kane is he even has a label of being like you know this guy who's brash and has attitude and shit like that. But it's like, and I know that Reese, you can speak to uh, this player as well, um, Josh Hosang. I don't know the full context of the backstory of the situation that happened with him, so you can you know uh, expand on how he has also been contributing to you know this uh this issue where it comes to how black players are dealt with in the nhl yeah and it just it kind of goes to uh how hockey media hockey management picks and choose their heroes and villains joshua hosang is not the first hockey player that's confident in his abilities we celebrate celebrate the Evander Canes of the world. We celebrate the Alex Ovechkin. Wow, what a celebration. Uh, while uh, uh, this guy knows how to party, he just He's won really, a Stanley Cup. really passionate. Yeah, really passionate. And, and you know, he, he can do no wrong, even when he does wrong. Uh, meanwhile, Joshua Hosang, very confident in his abilities. Um, you know, I don't want to say guys aren't humble because I truly believe he's a humble guy. But at the same time, it's, it's almost like that uh, – NBA or soccer player or football player personality where it's I'm good I know it I'm not afraid to you know say it with your chest and you know they hate him for it uh and then it's like well a young black kid uh feels this way he better be flawless in every little thing he does uh and so for example he, he was made an example of uh in his rookie camp late for practice is he the first person to be late for practice no no and and what did they do? They sent him home. They didn't even invite him to training camp. That's I'm like, this is your first round pick. Crazy to me. That's so. <laughs> you're, you're late. A, you're late a few minutes. Okay, I'm not, I, yeah, like I'm not condoning being late for practice. It's very important to uh, punctuality. Yeah. Is super, super important. I know, and I know uh, there's a there's a misconception around colored folk that we're not we're not very punctual. But that's actually a huge misconception. But yeah, it, just to it, go up on that, like it, my thing is. Nuts. It's nuts that they. I think they they were very heavy handed with him. Yo, we're talking yeah, about I, practice, been, man. Not a game. Not a game. Yeah, not, not the game. game. Not, not the game. Not we're talking about practice. Like my thing is, have you been late to work before? Yeah. Yes. Have you gotten fired for being late to work? Nope. No. Not, not is, one it, time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not not one time. The one time it happened to him, and we can do an, a a survey of every NHL player. Have you ever missed a practice before? Have you ever been confident in your abilities and said that publicly before? A bunch of them will say yes. Then we can narrow it down based you on demographics. You don't make it to the top of your whatever field that you're doing without some semblance of confidence. You have to be confident, bro. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Especially, and it's just, especially in sports. The kid's a baller. The, the, the kid has been a high point producer, high skill, every level of play. He was Connor McDavid's line mate, get, gets drafted in the OHL, you know, 80 point falls in the first round. Some of the guys ahead of him will never sniff the NHL, can't even produce the AHL level. Okay, he, he gets sent home uh, after the late incident. Balls out. Uh, gets a cup of coffee in the NHL. Plays really well. The team is playing well. They send him, they send him uh, uh, back down to put in some plugs. The team struggles. John Tavares leaves. All right, they, they, they make the playoffs, but he, he, he plays, what, less than 20 games. While he's playing those less than 20 games, he's not getting any power play time. Why would you not give your first-round pick High skill, high speed, great hands, no no power play time. Well, he still produces at a decent level, uh, uh, top, uh, middle six uh, level. Send him back down. Performs on well the AHL. Doesn't go back. They draft other kids. 
lead footed doesn't matter. Slow doesn't matter. No hands doesn't matter. They're going to get their cups of coffee. And we're just going to keep talking about why is Joshua Ho saying with this track record, with this limited NHL production in limited minutes, which would figure him as at the very least a, a productive third liner with no power play time. Well, and then, the, and they'll go back to, well, I don't know about him. Uh, he was late to practice that one time when he was 19 years old. Uh, he said a couple things in the media that he thinks he's the best player in the draft. What player shouldn't feel that they're the best player in the draft? Like, I think I'm the best Xbox player on earth. Like, I, I, I you got to be confident. Why, why are you playing sports if you're not confident? Why are you doing anything if you're not confident? And that, and, and it's just, it's just this label and narrative. And it's not only Joshua Ho saying Evander Kane is another one too. And uh, I remember um, it might've been his second or third year in the league. This is when Atlanta, uh, the Atlanta Thrashers moved to Winnipeg, uh, but he was hanging around Vegas and had the dollar bills to his ear. How many, how many people have been in Vegas and flex that they're in Vegas on social media? Raise I your hand. I've never, but I plan on doing that when I go. Yo, trust me. And I want to do the same thing. Yo, we'll make a trip of it. Trust me. I mean, I'm, exactly. trying, to do, I'm trying to do hangover part four. Yo, trust me, the black edition guy. <laughs> Come on, bro. Like, my thing is, like, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus. I love Patrick Kane. I love his game. The dude punches a taxi driver over some sense and tip. We celebrate him. We don't bring it up. Ryan O'Reilly, love the guy. Cubs winner. About, great I player. Forgot, I forgot about the Patrick Kane incident, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. It, it, that's a piece of shit thing that he did. Ryan O'Reilly drunk drives into a Tim Hortons. It's okay. Oh, you miss a practice. Oh, you take a picture we don't like. Come on, like, come on. Uh, another example I'll give you, and a kid who is squeaky clean, has no issues, uh, nothing I've heard of. Uh, Anthony Duclair, really good Yo, season. A, Why does he not have a long-term? He's a great player. How many long-term contracts have you seen with Caucasian players with just an, a 16 goal, but he, he brings everything. He's a good locker room guy. We're going to overpay him. Anthony Duclair, north of 20, 20 goals. Uh, gets all-star votes. He might have made the all-star game. Can't get a long-term deal anyone, anywhere. No one will commit to him. And I'm just looking at it like, how many teams could use a top six forward with some sand, sandpaper and speed? And I, I just, I look at it and I'm like, the NHL is not even trying to hide it. So like privilege, bro. Yeah, and I like, and I, we need to keep talking about these things and we need to keep calling it out because it's bullshit. Like, I'm a Leafs fan. You remember the David Clarkson signing? Yeah. The, the one, th- wow, he scored 30 goals and he hits people. Well, let's give him whatever he wants. That's you know you fuck Anthony up. Duclair, young kid. <laughs> exactly. And then and then what he do, what does he do? His first season gets himself suspended like 10, 10 15 games. Like, so like come on. So here's my thing, and you bring up a lot of uh, great points because yes, we are here on this platform talking about this, and these are things that you know as fans, I cannot, I cannot speak from a fan's perspective because I am not a big fan of hockey itself. But when you look at the fact that, you know, you guys, you, you witness all this, uh, all the inequalities and you witness the inconsistencies of how they treat white players versus how they treat black players, it's great that there are more people talking about how they feel when it comes to their own representation in hockey. And, you know, you have a whole bunch of different organizations, which we'll get into later on, but from the 1940s 50s when shit was hella racist and they really weren't trying to let black people in in the building in the door to play hockey because of the fact that you know they still had all their racist tendencies just 
running rampant and that was just the norm because all of that is so archaic the nhl has been very slow in developing their own racial tolerances but that doesn't mean that there haven't been strides in making efforts to make it more diverse but it's been basically if you took a turtle no not even a turtle if you took a tortoise and a sloth and a snail (laughs) and crossbreed them that is the speed of which hockey culture likes to you know develop and evolve right but when you look at the changes over the past decade you have Willie O'Ree, who broke the color barrier in 1958. You had the first black player who won a Stanley Cup is Grant Fuhrer in 1984. I was born five years later. Darren was born two years after that. That's nuts. The highest black player. A year, fam. What do you mean? I'm 85, bro. 85. See, even worse. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yo, he won his third one when I I was born. Like, or not even a few months before I was born. Like, fuck. Right. And then you look at the fact that the highest black player to be drafted happened this year. You know what I'm saying? Like Quentin Byfield uh, with the Kings. And then you look at who was the first black player of the Toronto Maple Leafs, and that was Val James back in the 80s. And a good episode, uh, a good podcast you can listen to is the Least Forever podcast. And they had a whole episode going into the history of Val James and going to his book. They talk about... Um, uh, 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 <laughs> Herbie, uh, oh my God. Herbie Carnegie. Yes, Herb Carnegie. Jesus Christ. Thank you for saving me on that. No problem. Like, honestly, he, like, his name's really synonymous, especially around the, and I will say this, the Wilson and Finch, no, sorry, the Jane and Wilson area, because Herb Carnegie Arena is actually not too far from there. Um, Shout out to, I didn't know that. That's crazy. Why is that not public knowledge? That is something that should be. Yeah, because it's like it's down the street from like Sheridan Mall, and like most people want to avoid that area like the plague because that's that's the craziest thing though. Like you have such a you have an historical name attached to hockey in an area that is not prevalent with hockey because it's a very black neighborhood, but yet that is not something that drives black kids into playing hockey. That's not something that's celebrated. That's not something that's like really actively explored. Like that's just the shit that is just so mind boggling. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You have that history just tucked away, especially the black history that is, you know, just kept in the dark. And that's something that is a very Canadian thing as well, because at least in the States, yes, there is a lot of fuddled history and whatnot, but they have their black history. They can, it's that's attached. That's something that's been passed down because the black essence and the black presence in canada is just so spread out the diaspora is so crazy because it's not just historically black people came here from the underground railroad and settled in you know upper and lower canada you have the fact that you know you emigrated from the united states or from the west indies from continental africa from uh from europe and whatnot so it's just a a, a large mashup hybrid so there's a lot of history that seems like all right you know what they have their own stuff so we can just kind of sweep that under the rug and then when you find out when you're 20s 30s 40s just like wait this is a thing this actually happened why didn't we learn about this why why aren't these stories being shared more often Mm -hmm. right so i think that that those stories and unlocking those memories and teaching them to the young will prompt the next generation to pursue wanting to get into hockey because they know the 
the the relevance and that they know the importance of these names. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like Herb Carnegie is a name that I didn't learn until what this January, last December. But it's just like, oh snap, this guy could was basically he could have been you know Val James before Val James if a certain uh, if a certain general manager or owner, Con Smythe, didn't say that you know he paid a hundred thousand dollars to sign him if he was white. Pardon? Are you dumb? <laughs> Fire out you, bro. Like, who are you talking to? And that's the thing. That man's name is the name of the MVP trophy in the NHL. What the fuck? Is that? Like, what? Like, that's 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 so wild to me. But yes, that is to say, though, that there have been significantly good things to come out to come about in recent memory as it pertains to more black presence in the NHL. You know what I'm saying? Like, the first female scout in the NHL was a black coach. She helped Blake Bolton. Mm. You have Bailey, who's an executive with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Mm. You have Kirk, who's a black bench Amazing. Black bench coach with the New Jersey Devils. Mm. You have an assistant Boom. in Florida that uh, that was just hire Brett Peterson. And I know, David, you were really excited about mm. that. I know I'm just like, oh, shit. Did you guys see this? <laughs> like, yo, we had bare discussions about this not too long ago because uh, we were uh, like literally just shooting the shit about this. It's like, oh, are we actually going to have a black GM or a black assistant general manager or even a black head coach? And then all of a sudden, yeah, it's me, just like... And me and Jordan were like, me and Jordan were like, nah, not in this lifetime. And then next <laughs> you know, surprise, motherfucker. Like, Florida, high, uh, Florida, I mean, of all teams, Florida. But you know what? Shout out to the Florida Panthers for doing uh, doing what they're doing right now. Like that was. They should. They should change it. Sorry, going off on a tangent. They should change their name to Miami. Just cause. True. True. Sorry. I mean, word. Yo, word, call word. them the Miami Black word. Panthers. There you go. Um... Wow. <laughs> I mean, come on. Man. <laughs> Yo, come on, come on. Black Panthers are rare, Not and you know what? Like, I ain't trying to. I ain't trying to bring up no racial connotation about it. But like, yo, Black Panther. This whole this whole episode about racial connotation. What are you talking True. about? True, but. I don't want to I don't want to correlate one thing with the other. Do you get what I'm you saying? Literally just so when you talk of course it's gonna be racial connotation when you throw in black Panthers. <laughs> Come on. I, I just I just think they should be, even though they're technically not physically based in Miami, they should be the Miami. Yes, yes, I agree with you. I flat out agree with you. Me. because um, there is Miami and everybody else, but at the same time, there's a lot of different Florida politics with that, but we won't even have to get yeah. into that. What's important is that along with those endeavors and and uh, and starkly great progressive hires that are happening in NHL, offline, but in the hockey community, you have different organizations, different community groups, and it's not just like, you know, this podcast, which is all black podcast like you know from a from a, a, a toronto centric straight up trying to make a random you know what i'm saying but you have like you know the black girl hockey club and what they're doing on yeah shout out black girl hockey club big, big hockey shout out yeah. to yo 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 if you know anybody if you know anybody in that black girl hockey club like tell them to message us man we want to actually have an episode with them <laughs> yo, I told you yo, we're trying to get yo. them on the show man this is a black this, listen friends of the show they are officially friends of the show we're gonna start a list Call friends of the show. They are the first members of uh, Third Intermission Podcast. Friends of the show. I mean, they need to know. Yeah. Oh, this is a this is a black girl hockey club stand. Trust. 
they're doing some amazing things too. Like uh, I be- believe just a few days ago, they had an open forum uh, with an OHL mm-hmm. team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and just talking to the fans about uh, getting diversity and inclusions within their own team, within uh, their local community and whatnot. And they're just kind of the face of it. And that's just, it's amazing. It's all like, I don't know how long they've been together, uh, maybe less than a couple of years. And that's already the moves that they're making. So just shut That's not Black the Girl. only moves they're making though. Cause like um, I've noticed over Twitter over the last few days or over the last few weeks. In fact, this is literally our second tweet. Like they had decided to start a campaign where it's called get uncomfortable. Like if you're uncomfortable with the fact that black people are enjoying hockey, get uncomfortable with it or like get comfortable with it right and yeah it's funny because i actually have that i have that page open right now so that was a great segue thanks for that hockey i got you uh so the get uncomfortable campaign is no smooth that way and i'm just reading it right off the site it's like the get uncomfortable campaign is developing a comprehensive set of recommendations on how all entities involved in hockey at all levels can meaningfully uh meaningfully uh contribute to the movement against discrimination and the oppression of BIPOC communities in society. If you don't know what BIPOC means, it means Black, Indigenous, people of color. So it's really great that, you know, they take a stand and they want to be like, listen, we want you to encourage the hockey community to make a welcoming space for Black girls and all BIPOC communities as players and fans of the sport. Important. Employ and recruit BIPOC applicants to begin the process of diversifying hockey at all levels important educate the hockey community on social justice and allyship with guidance from BIPOC leaders anti-racism experts advocates players and fans important 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 and these are all things that I said on the 15th floor of 50 Bay Street in December okay (laughs) yes Jordan listen I'm glad that more people and, and, you know, a lot of people have taken this pledge. Almost 4,000 people have taken this pledge on their website. And, you know, they have programs. They have Hockey Talk. You can donate to them. You can donate to them. You, they, you know, they're looking for people who have stories about being Black and, and what their hockey experience has been like. It's really forming a community. And I think that's one of the... I hate that everything really had to, like, really blow up because of George... Floyd dying. I hate that it took a black man dying for yeah. to wake up. You know what I'm saying? At the same time, it empowered a lot of black people to take advantage of the timing and be like, you know what? All right, you're gonna hear us, and and we're gonna take advantage of y'all white guilt. Although <laughs> some people are really, like, you know, really be better allies. So it's like, okay, if you want to be a better ally, show up. You know what I'm saying? So having all these uh, community efforts, having all these organizations having all these different ambitious directives, uh, you know, come into the forefront. It's amazing. And, you know, Black Girl Hockey Club, it's 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 just one example of what I hope is a trend, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Uh, in terms of, like, you know, really building out this, uh, this hockey community that we have here. So with that being said, the Hockey Diversity Alliance, that's also something that I'm glad has come to the fold it sucks that the nhl basically said that okay you're on your own you guys can do your own thing but we're not going to align ourselves with you publicly yes you are nhl players and this is your thing but this is not an nhl diversity alliance it's a hockey diversity alliance and it's just like nhl fumbled a bag they fumbled a lot of bags this year but like you know what you have allowed the players to do this and do their own thing i know major league soccer did their own 
the NFL and the uh, NBA, their players association, they've already like, you know, been doing that kind of groundwork. But for hockey to be doing this, for hockey, for black hockey players to take a stand and really be empowered and to have white allies stand with them, that's an important piece in moving forward into shifting what hockey culture looks like. So with that being said, I raise the question to you guys. In this decade, since we've seen an assistant GM in Florida, I know it's baseball, but shout out to you know the Miami Marlins hiring an Asian American woman uh, as their GM. They can't do no wrong first now. Woman, first woman GM in all four pro- professional male sports, which is mm-hmm. incredible. So incredible. do you guys think, and I'm going to leave this question to you, do you guys think that there will be a black head coach Bench boss in the NHL. Go. Ah, uh, like ever, like ever. This decade. Or... Okay. Will it happen ever? Do you think it'll happen this decade? Ever? Yeah. Yes, yes. And I'm be- and I'm being very optimistic when I say that. And I would like Agreed. to believe. I would like to believe that you know, as the league gets younger, more youthful, and you know, uh, the young the young men and women that are in charge will will have grown up in a different society that hopefully they believe is more diverse. They will be more open to giving minorities, uh, specifically black people, men or women, uh, chances to be a bench boss this decade though. mm, I don't know. I don't know. Like I, I, I'm not sure. I'm going to be honest. I'm not sure as for if there were any candidates that could fill that void um, so soon? In nine years, you don't think? I don't know. Like, I really don't know. Stranger things have happened. Stranger things have happened. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Like, I just, I'm I'm very optimistic for. Oh, go Go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Reese. I'm very optimistic for Manny Malhotra, who just got uh. I wouldn't be surprised if he took over the Leafs at one point. It's just it kind of goes back to the conversation of making the game inclusive. If you have a bigger pool, they will get hired. The talent will be evident. And that starts with, right. first of all, the NHL is an old boys club. A lot of your coaches, a lot of your GMs, staff are former mm-hmm. players. So it's all about growing the game in which we have black faces on the ice, scoring goals, blocking shots, making plays. Manny Malhotra, um, sorry if I'm butchering your last name, long career, respected career. See what happens when you let a black guy play? respected on on every nhl team he's been in and they they like him they think he's pretty innovative uh he's bounced around at uh multiple levels it's good that he's with the leafs and uh just give these guys a chance just they get an opportunity uh, and he's an assistant coach so he'll be um yeah we'll, we'll be seeing him on hockey night in canada we'll be seeing him on tsn and sports and he would be great because he's young too, like well relatively young guy he's 40 he's, only yeah, 40. he's, he's barely 40 yeah so like he would be great and he's played in like the recent, um, recent like recent years in the NHL, so he would be great. But again, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm being a little bit pessimistic about nine years. But but, it's just, right. but here's the thing: you're, it's not like you're you're wrong in that. It's not like you're like you know those feelings are not uh, invalid because we know it's hockey at the mm-hmm. end of the day. That's what I'm saying, right? And I'm just like, there's no evidence to support that. Right. They're gonna hire uh, all of a sudden hire a, a, a black coach in in the right. NHL where I can we're not like before you even get into the NHL like I don't even I can't even remember off the top of my head if there's any coaches at the junior mm-hmm. level 
or in the AHL or like any other leagues. So I don't know if, yeah, I don't know. I'll I'll be cautiously optimistic about, about um, them doing it. I was going to say, isn't there like a black coach for like team Jamaica? Okay, that's in Jamaica. That's not. Yeah, Jamaica. but that's Jamaica. That, that you know, Jamaica's ninety-two percent black. No, no, like, no. I'm aware, I'm aware of that. But what I'm saying is, like, Jamaica had a hockey team, and they didn't even start up till like what, not even like two, three years ago. Like, and, yeah, twenty seventeen. Yeah, and like he's actually not that bad. I mean, like, what to tell you the truth? Like, I've I've kept my eye on like um, on I double uh, IHF World Hockey Championships, and like obviously it's like the deepest, deepest division possible. But like yo, a bunch of black dudes like literally fucking up dudes from like, from South Korea, Mexico, Israel, hell, North Korea caught a defaz one time or another. Fucking yo, like the sky's the limit with Team Jamaica, obviously. And yeah, like I know, I know, and I know CJ very well. CJ Bowlers is the, is the coach for the Team yeah. Jamaica national team, and he and he's been in hockey for a while, and he has two mm-hmm. sons. I think one or two. I can't remember. He, he has one son that was playing in Europe, and I think another one that was playing junior up here. And uh, yeah, he's a really good guy, but I don't know if if his um, if his you know skill set and his experience would be enough to get him to the NHL. Yo, blood, like without without coaching. Yo, blood clot. Put it put him on My Seattle. Yeah, they can't just give him the, the Seattle job with no Yo, experience. Blood clot. Yo, him run Team Jamaica. I'm good. Hold on. My thing is. If we start seeing, you know, the the drops coming in on the minor league level, then that's how you know that there's going to be an eventual splash on the NHL mm-hmm. level, right? Because it, it's a trickle effect. It, it's not just like, you know, and the thing is, you know, as we know, historically, just when you're black in a white space, you have to be the most exceptional of the bunch in order to get like, you know, the position that you want. You know what I mean? Um, so when you look at who's already names that come to mind, whether they be former players, uh, you know, or uh, or people who worked in the league on different teams, who are, if you can each give me, like, three names, you don't even have to give me, like, you know, a full, full-length uh, description or, or reasoning. If you give me three names of potential players who could take over behind the bench in, in whatever time it is, whether it's 10 years, what is 15 years, who would you pick? And I'm going to start with Reese. You go first. I can see Joel Ward uh, is fresh out the NHL. Uh, he's actually currently coaching um, uh, some type of junior league. I don't know if it's a junior A or junior B in Canada um, or in the United States. Uh, again, long career, really respected. Uh, some of the most you know, clutch playoff goals, uh, long career. Uh, I could, I could see him, uh, potentially be one of those. Another guy I'd like to shout out is, uh, Ryan Reeves. Uh, he's been in the NHL for a minute. Um, you know, he's a bruiser, you know, he's a fighter yet. He's actually had a pretty decent career, pretty decent score come playoff time. He's adjusted in a couple different eras where the game has kind of changed this, the game got faster and, uh, he's always find a role been, you know, adapted, really respected. And it's that type of, he has that aura and that, you know, commanding voice um, where his teammates really respect him. He's got their back. And at the same time, he kind of instills fear. So maybe, uh, you know, he'll get that respect as a coach or a GM where, you know, his voice will be heard. Uh, Third, um, 
got to got to shout out my uh, Scarborough guy, uh, Wayne Simmons, man. That's another guy, high skilled, been in the NHL a long time. Um, you know, just has so much respect, puts his body, body on the line, is willing to fight, can score, do a lot of things that he's very vocal um, about who he is, where he's from. Uh, just you, those type of guys just command a lot of respect. And if we're going to branch out to people of color um, and not just black, uh, got to shout out my guy, Kadri. That's, that's another guy uh, just commands respect, a lot of skills, you love know, been nasty, in the NHL a lot. Love nasty. Yeah. Sh- shout, yeah. Shout on, shout on Nas, bro. So those are kind of my guys. Sorry if I took all the, all the good names. Uh, Darren, who you got? Who's your three? Uh, all right. So my first one, I got Anton Carter um, mm-hmm. from Toronto. Very decorated, three-time. My guy. Yeah, man, three, uh, two-time. Two, yeah, two-time world champion uh, with with the with Team Canada and world junior champion. And, you know, his best years were probably in Edmonton. He scored a lot of goals for them, a lot of clutch goals. Um, played all over the league. I think he he has a very, like, calm demeanor. Very, um, just very, like, very even-keeled type of guy. Kind of like how Kawhi Leonard was. So I think um, he would be a very good players coach, quote-unquote. Um, second one, you know, to contrast him, I have to big up the Toronto man, the Yad man like myself, uh, P.K. Subban. I think him would – would he's a fun guy, but he's also hardworking, and I feel like that type of stuff would, would, would permeate to, to the players and, and really instill in them that, you know, it, P.K. Subban is the epitome of – being very good, but also having fun at the same time. And I think players would like to play for a coach that they actually like playing for. That's that's the first thing. So I think PK would be would be great in that instance. Plus, I, I would love to hear his sound bites. His sound bites would be fucking epic, man. I think I think it would be hilarious hearing the media asking hearing the media ask him stupid questions and then him replying like in a snarky way, like kind of like how Tortorella does or like uh, Popovich. And the third guy is a legend, all-time NHL legend, former MVP, Jerome McGinley. Um, another calming presence, but also very um, a little bit more stern and, and serious in the game. So I think I think he would earn a lot of respect from the players just based off his accolades and based off the things he's been able to accomplish. And, yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm tight that he didn't get a um, Stanley Cup, man. I, I'm still vexed about that. But, you know, I think those, those are my three. Anton Carter. Uh, P.K. Subban, Jerome McGinley. And last but not least, Dave. Uh, who you're Captain Dave. Dave, this guy's not even here. I swear to God. This guy's not even here. That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. This guy abandoned ship. Hold what on. The Can hell? you hear me right now? Okay. Yeah, okay, now okay, we okay sorry. That mic button, yo, that mute button was real hot. Um, I was going to say, um, Darren, I'm a little pissed that you stole my answers right now. So, um, I'll, all oh, three, no, you stole two of my answers, but thank God for, thank God for the internet. Uh, shout out to Google for this. Um, I'm actually going to come up with like three random names for you, but, uh, one of them you might actually know. Um, Freddie Brathwaite. Freddie Brathwaite was actually a really great goaltender when, uh, when I was growing up, uh, homeboy used to play for the flames. And he had a very great career. Technically speaking, he was actually a goaltender coach not too long ago. So I wouldn't Bayesian I wouldn't boy. mind seeing him behind the bench. Uh, my second option, and I would love to see him actually get behind the bench again, 
Uh, most of y'all don't know this, but Dirk Graham. Dirk Graham was actually the first black head coach in the NHL back in 1998-1999. He was actually the head coach of the Chicago Blackhawks for a hot minute. And I would, yeah, really? like, I just found this out, too. Um, I would love to see him behind the bench again and see his, see how he can handle today's type of, today's style of game. Um, Wait, yeah. he's black? Black hockey history that he's I did not know Canadian of. He's a Canadian hockey player. He oh, wow. Used to, he was the first... He was the first black captain of the Chicago, or first black captain in the NHL, actually. In fact, he was playing with the Blackhawks from like 89 to 95. So he's hello. Yo, he's also the first black player to win the Selkie trophy. So like, yo, there's some black history for your ass, right? Well, thank you, historian <laughs> Dave, for that. Hey, you gotta, I know, it's just doing my thunder right here. For those, who don't know, for those who don't know, the Selkie Trophy is is uh, is is awarded to the best uh, defensive forward in the NHL. Wow, well, shit. Uh, well, um, I'm surprised that none of you guys said Kevin. Oh, Weeks. no, he was definitely my top choice, but... Shout out Kevin. He Weeks, was actually definitely way. my top choice, but there's actually a third player. I love I love him so much as an analyst yeah. to be a coach. That's that's why. My last choice would actually be Seth Jones from the Columbus Blue Jackets. Obviously, he he has he has some hockey IQ that would definitely translate from on the ice to behind the bench, and I feel like he his style of play would definitely be something that could be taught da- taught down to say other players as well. And I feel like he's a great. I feel like he's a great offensive, offensive-minded player, and I would like to see him behind the bench as well. So, fun fact. Tid, fun fact. Tidbit on Seth Jones. His oh, father. Man. His father used to play for the Raptors back in the day. Oh, yep. Stop this. But also, Popeye's I name. had math. I had math class with him when he was a sophomore, and I was an accelerated junior year high school math. Stop yeah, he's all this. Smart guy. Nice, nice kid too. Yeah. Swear to God, Ann Arbor pioneer. Because. Uh, he, I think he was captain of the development program. And then uh, the following year, uh, he uh, went to uh, the Damn. QMJHL. Played against McKinnon uh, in the mm. Memorial Cup. It might not have been in the QMJHL. He played somewhere. It might have been uh, WHL, actually. And then uh, the final was him versus Nathan McKinnon. And they also went, both of them, top five that draft. So, a little fun fact. Yeah, really nice kid. Really good at math. Well, damn. Um, I ain't got nothing... Learned a lot of the game. From, learned a lot of the game from yeah. Sakic as well, while his dad was playing for the Nuggets. So. This is why. This is why I'm glad that I'm here to be an observer and to like learn more things. So like you know, a lot of historical stuff. Obviously, not a lot of things I can retain and bring up in casual conversation. Maybe I'll get there at some. You point. got time. Um. Yeah, that's fine. Do you guys think this is the last question? Do you guys think that we will have? A woman head coach or a black head coach first? Ooh, uh, woman. We've had a black coach before. But I'm talking about like right now. Let's just like right I, I, now, climate of a new hockey culture that we're shifting into. Do you think we'll see a woman coach or a black coach? Me, I personally think we'll see a woman first. Well, yeah, woman, woman coach. Women are more established, especially white women are more established in hockey culture itself. So yeah. I see that is happening. Before we have a, black I mean, coach. plus like there's a lot of there's a lot of like legendary women that that like I 
I grew up watching playing like um, mm-hmm. Haley Wickenheiser, who's who's currently on the Leaf staff, and Cassie Campbell, who's also a legend. And then on the American side, you have uh, Cammy Granado. So I think I think uh, with with everything now, the culture is kind of shifting towards. I mean, NHL is as you said, they're slow as sloths, right? But um, they're shifting more towards women a lot quicker than they are towards uh, mm-hmm. people of color. In, in a lot of um, in a lot of positions, so I really think that a female coach would be more likely. Obviously, I could be wrong, yeah. but that's what I think. Like for me, I feel like um, I feel like it's a toss up between the two of them because on one side, no, no, no. I'm like, hear me out, hear me out. I feel like it's an actual toss up because obviously, yes, I would love to see a woman behind the bench and literally school, like literally school half these dudes. Right? Especially John Tortorella. Fuck that dude. Um, but I would also like to see... That's how you really feel. <laughs> a lot. Yo, like, yeah. yo, the man basically outcoached Sheldon Keefe, all right? Like, yo, how, how do we get W? <laughs> how do we get dummied, like, like by... by for? Uh, wow, I'm getting tongue-tied. How do we get dummied from a three-goal lead in order to lose and then literally do the same thing to him only for him to give us a, a beat as, a beat our ass with another three-goal lead? But that's a because it's the Yo, league. What are you talking about? You <laughs> what I'm saying is right. Well, also the style of playoff hockey doesn't favor high skill, high speed teams. But that's a conversation. I like. Anyways, um, what I was going to say was like, yes, it would be very refreshing to see a woman behind the bench and school half these dudes. In fact, like I'd see, I see Haley Wickenheiser definitely being a coach at one point or another. But on the flip side, I also see say I also see a black player, a black player, or a more definite, a more prominent black player, literally being a head coach at one point or another. It's only like uh, like for me, it's it's a genuine toss up because you never. I think, I think wise, a woman will come first, regardless. I mean, yep. yeah. In the next in the next yeah. ten years, in the next ten years, I'll definitely. Well, then again, like I've said, stranger things have happened. And of course, you never know. Obviously, there could be a woman. There could be a woman coach. Uh, there could be a women's coach ready to go with the like, right in the pipeline. There could also be a, a BIPOC coach uh, in the pipeline ready to go. So you never know what could happen. My, I get that, and I think the reason why I think it's more likely that a woman will be a coach in the NHL because there are there's women's yes. hockey leagues. There's women in you know mm-hmm. on the international level so it's just more likely just given the proximity of mm-hmm. what's already presented and the fact that there is no black mm-hmm. coaches anywhere that is more likely that a woman will be a bench boss before a black person will be a bench boss of and course nothing wrong with that it's just no like i i genuinely understand that, that. It is what it is. I and I genuinely understand that, and I respect it. Like honestly, I I don't care who comes first, just as long as long as there's forward progression. Yeah, absolutely. With that being said, with that being said, um, this was a great episode, and I hope that you know people who are listening were able to kind of get a grasp of what's happening in hockey culture as it pertains to the black presence, uh, both on the ice and off the ice, uh, feel free to 
message uh, any of our accounts at third INTTO uh, three and RD INTTO on Twitter or on Instagram. Uh, you can message either one of us individually. Go to, I defer to the other three because they have more hockey knowledge than I do. I'm still catching up, but you know, um, their, their handles are good, are in the episode description. But I want to thank you guys for, you know, uh, again, lending in your knowledge and your perspectives and, you know, just another, it's one other conversation for that, you know, people can hear to understand that, you know, being black and being a hockey fan is a great thing. It's just something that we want to see more of and we want to see the game evolve to be a reflection of the people who enjoy the sport. You know what I'm saying? So with that being said, be sure to listen, subscribe, comment, share out. Talk to us. All over the place. Tell everybody talk, Tell everybody about the podcast. Again, engage with us. Any one of these guys who are on the account, they're doing some nonsense, but it's all love. It's all <laughs> entertainment. And yeah. It's only entertainment. I got, I got one more point. Uh, today is November 19th. Uh, same day as uh, Gucci versus Jeezy. Team Gucci. So if you're Bumble watching class. this, Gucci had already won. You <laughs> already won. Uh, also, free Connor McDavid. All right, later. Bye. Yo, hit us up on Twitter. Real, real talk. At third, I-N-T-T-O. Jordan, I'm going to let you kill this one off. Uh, this is DB signing out. Well, you already you already killed it off, so that's it. Later, y'all.